you're saying. Do you ever have a challenge making your face match what you're saying? Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a struggle I have. I got to start with an announcement. Um, I just love announcements. You can just get anyone who knows me. That guy loves announcements. There's this, um, there's this app called Church Center for you guys, with, especially with kids, but it's useful anybody in the church. You can search Church Center on your app, Google Play or App Store or what have you. And uh, then you can log into our church with your email address, however you are registered at our church uh, with that email address, and you can have access to all kinds of stuff that's going on. But the kids' church wanted me to tell you this because you can pre-check in your kids for kids' church. It will put a QR code on your phone. You walk in, scan the code, it prints a label, you're done. Okay? It's like magic. All right? Now, so let me just say, our kids' church, what they're trying to do is protect your kids. Okay? Now, things may be going great in your family, but not every family is going great. And so sometimes you have family disputes going on. And we just want to protect our kids and make sure they get to the right person. That's what's going on with the check-in process. And so I know it can be a bit of a challenge. And there's, you know, we, none of us really like change that much, even those of us who are changing stuff all the time. We don't like it either, unless it's our idea, just to be honest with you. And uh, so try and be patient with them. But if you got the Church Center app, it would make your life easier. Uh, it would make the kids' church life easier and so forth. And so if you have kids, checking them in. Also, small groups are on there. So if you want to know what small groups are going on, we try and keep that updated pretty well. Okay, got it? Say you got it. I don't even care if you told me the truth right there. We're done with that. Okay? All right, that's it. That being said, we're in our series called Unshakable. And Unshakable is about establishing an unshakable faith. And in my mind, that's exactly what an ordinary faith is. It's an unshakable faith. It stabilizes us. It roots us in something that's true and it's honest. And that's what I want you to have. I want you to have a real faith. If faith doesn't work on Monday, there's really not much point in it. Okay? Just be honest with you. You've got to have something that works every day of the week. And so that's what an ordinary faith is about. And as we steer into unshakable faith, last week we talked about living differently, which meant we believe differently. That we change our thoughts about things and we stop thinking that we have to earn things and that we have to work hard for things and we start accepting the fact that God has changed us and everything comes by grace through faith, okay? And so that was last week we learned to live differently and that established our faith. We found out what it was that as we believe and have faith, that leans us into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us. Today we're jumping into a transition verse in verse 14, which I'll bring up on the screen in a minute, which simply says, and those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And so Paul puts a big equal sign there. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, that equals being a child of God. And so today, as we come into this idea of uh, being, I'm calling it the inheritance, having an inheritance, we're moving into this idea of what it means to be a child of God a little bit, a son or daughter of the Most High God, okay? So we kind of wrap our head around that transition phrase, and so today we need to wrap our head around what it, what it means to be a child of God, what it means to actually be in relationship with God. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful idea? I mean, really think about this. I can be in relationship with the Most High God. It's part of my inheritance. It's part of what God gives me. It's what part of what Jesus Christ died for on the cross. So that's what we're jumping into today. So we're going to start with the idea of this. You can have a close relationship with God as your Father. Everybody say Father. My Father God. This is something the church today really needs to wrap their head around. It's something that Jesus Christ drove home every chance he got. Our Father God. God is our actual Father. So let's jump into Romans 8 verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Oh, let me pause. This was not in the sermon, but I'm going to jump on this real quick, all right? If your faith makes you a fearful slave, that spirit did not come from God. That's all I want to say, okay? Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Ah, the idea of adoption, verse verse. So, yeah, the rest of 15, sorry. Now we call him, and here's this interesting word in NLT, is Abba. It's just the Greek word. If you have a child, most likely the first word they're going to say is dada, okay? That's what Abba is. Very intimate, very infantile in a sense, very young relationship with God. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm or to testify that we are God's children. Man, when you talk about being in relationship with God, this is what you're talking about. In fact, when people ask you that, or when you say, hey, yeah, I believe it's about relationship, this is the passage that needs to come to your mind. Is, is Romans 8, 14 through 17. What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And so we're going to think about that for a minute, wrap our heart around that, I hope. First thing I want to say is this. No one, well, one guy was born into God's family. Nobody else was born into God's family. I understand from a, cre- from a perspective of, that God created us all, we might say that we're all children of God in that sense, Okay. But being children of God in the sense that God created us all does not make you a child of God. This is really important to understand. You're not a Christian just because you happen to be born in the right country, in the Bible Belt, or to the right parents. Okay? Does that make sense? This isn't something that just happens. You aren't just born into it. So whenever I talk to someone about faith, a lot of times people say, well, I've just always been a Christian. And when they say that, my, my, my red flags start wagging in my brain, and the Holy Spirit's like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> like we got to find out what's going on here. Why do you think that? And, and so we d- dive into that notion, okay? And, and, and all kinds of things come out of that discussion, but nonetheless, it's just, there, there's something that happens. You have to be, you are all adopted into God's family. Everybody in this room is adopted. One of our sons, there was a movie many years ago. What was that movie? Twelve is enough. A dozen, cheaper by the dozen. And they had a, 12 is, 12 is enough. Bless Jesus, 12 is enough. Eight is enough. That's a TV show from when I was a kid. And I, apparently it had a big impact on me. <laughs> oh, 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 forgot about that. I might have to go check out those reruns. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> She rather doesn't. There was a kid in there called FedEx, and uh, they all teased him that he was the adopted one. Or I can't even remember the story. All I know is we had a FedEx in our family. His name was Cody, and um, he always got kind of on the tail end of things. And so we teased him that his brothers teased him that he was adopted. And we, I don't know if he ever actually believed him us when we told him that he wasn't. But nonetheless, he's trying to live up to that. Anyway, so we become children of God not by birth, but by faith. John one twelve. All who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay? We're not, that's, we have to understand we come into him, we come into God, this relationship with God by faith. This intimate access is by an adoption, something that happens. There's a point in our life where we're not children of God, and then there's a point where we are. So we are all adopted. Now, probably many of you, uh, as a child, you kind of hoped you were adopted, right? What kid hasn't said, my real parents one day are going to come rescue me from these mean parents. 
What kid hasn't thought that? Until one day you're like in your early teens, you look in the mirror and go, man, I look just like my broke dad. I think I'm stuck here. So nobody's me. So adopted has a legal meaning in your Bible. So when God says adopted you, Paul's using an intentional language, would have had a very, a very clear understanding to the Roman mind, those to whom he's writing, when he uses the idea of adoption. See, in the Roman culture uh, of, of that time, if you're, you're natural born children, you could like disown them. You didn't have to like them. You didn't even have to keep them, I guess. You know, you could, you could write them off. But an adopted child worked very, had a very different legal standing. First of all, adopted kids are picked. So if you're in this room and you're adopted, just know all the biological kids, their parents got stuck with them. But you got picked, okay? <laughs> all the biological kids are now insecure. Like, oh, no, my, my parents didn't want me. Well, some days they didn't, but that's another story. <laughs> But love one out, and here you are. You're still alive. <laughs> anyway, excuse me. I sometimes have more fun than I should. But anyway, so an adopted child, though, was one that was chosen. Once a, a child was adopted, Roman culture could never be disowned. At that point, they could never walk away from an adoption relationship. So it had unique legal standing. Also, an adopted child was given an entirely new identity. And, and age wasn't even a factor at this point in history. I mean, there were young adults that were adopted. But their debts were erased. Their prior identity was gone. I mean, basically, when you were adopted into a family in Roman culture, I mean, your life changed, your identity changed. You took on a new responsibilities, new commitments. All your old debts were erased. All these kind of things were supreme, so were <clears throat> happened. I don't know what word I was going for there, but that's what came out. Now, here's the thing. What's surprising to me, I mean, the adoption idea is pretty cool. But why would God want to? You really should read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Because in Romans chapter 1, 2, we live in a world that says everyone's basically good. And Paul would say that people who say that don't know what they're talking about. Okay, And if you were to read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, you would find out that our real state before God is pretty vile. I mean, it's not just that we've messed up. Uh, we live in rebellion and rejection against God. That's our normal fleshly state. And so the fact that God would look at us, even the worst of us, and say, I want that mess of a person in my family. I want them in my household. I want to adopt them. They've fallen short. They don't even like me, but I still want them. Isn't that kind of cool? That's kind of surprising that God would just step into that and be willing, and not just willing, but want to adopt us into his family. So, now here we are, we've been adopted. So we are children of God. Sons and daughters of God. Okay? What does that mean? What does that begin to look like? And so, Paul gives us a hint at the relationship in the word Abba. Which is that very childlike, infant-like name for dad. I, I'll never forget the first time I heard a guy pray to God and called him Daddy. I was like, I'd never thought of it that way. And so my first thought was, heresy! Which, you've got to know how I was raised. <laughs> Which I don't have time to go into. Just think that God wants a relationship with you that works on that kind of intimate level. Mama. Daddy. Not dad. Daddy. Daddy, what kind of relationship is that? display it's familiar i mean 
Daddy is the one you trust. It's the arms you lean into. I mean, that, that stage of that relationship as a child, it's a very vulnerable, dependent place. That's the kind of relationship your Father God wants with you. An Abba Father relationship. It's very familiar. It's a place we go that we don't have to worry about embarrassment or shame. It's a place we, we go that it's a relationship that's very deep and where our mind and our heart and our purpose even find rest, ability, even a place to launch from. Does that make sense? That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Maybe, I don't know, I was trying to think how to, I'm always, a thought I often have is to how to help men wrap their heads around some of these ideas. And, but guys, have you ever had that friend that you trusted no matter what. You, you, you could say anything, even if it was stupid, mean, crass, and they, they were there for you, you know? No matter how you felt, they had your back, they supported you, they'd let you rant and then maybe later say something to you, but they'd let you get it out or something. You ever had a friendship like that? Uh, that, that is, that's not even close to how close and dear a relationship God wants to have with you, but it, it might help your, you wrap your heart around it just a little bit. The Holy Spirit in you is what awakens that desire for an Abba-Father relationship. If you have that desire, it proves that Holy Spirit's in you. That is exactly what Paul's saying in the text. That that Spirit is what awakens us to a need of that kind of closeness in our life. It should give us assurance. Paul says it affirm, it's, the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm or to testify that we are God's children. So that desire in us is indication of the Spirit in us. That's really important. Many Christians struggle with assurance of salvation. And, and I'm not going to get into a lot of assurance principles today. But it's very important for you to know, if I want to know God, that desire to actually know Him, which I want to distinguish from the desire to know about God, those are different things. Knowing God and knowing about God are different things. Religious people who have no connection with God spiritually can know about God, or even unreligious people. But the desire to actually know God, to know what He likes, to know what He is like, that's evidence that Holy Spirit lives within you. That's evidence that you are the children of God. A lot of times um, in, the re in this world, this kingdom, the foster system or those who are adopted out of it, there's a lot of insecurity with children that come out of that system. There's always the fear that they could be put back into the system, that they could mess up, that they will somehow ruin the deal that they've got. That will never happen in this family. In this family, when, when Abba, when Papa brings you in, you're in. We'll talk about how that works in just a minute. Does that make sense? Is it cool to be a child of God? Great place to be. What we need to do as a church today is need, we need to wrap our hearts around what it means to be a child. Because hmm, I'm actually going to do a whole series on this later this year. Many of us relate to God more like slaves or orphans. We act like we either have no father, but Paul's point is that we haven't been given a spirit of slavery. What does that mean? 
Well, Paul's speaking again to a Roman audience. And in that Roman audience, you've got people, some of them are heads of households. And in a head of, as a head of a household, you would have children in your household, and you would have slaves. It was a common way of life in Rome. It looked a little differently than we imagine in the, in the U.S., but it, it, it was what it was. It was the world they lived in. And so a master, a head of household, would have slaves and have children. So what's the difference in those two relationships? Well, here's a slave serving the master. What do slaves do? Slaves do what they're supposed to do to get what they're supposed to get. Does that make sense? Slaves do what they're supposed to do to get what they're supposed to do. Again, it's a transactional relationship, a slave-like, slave-like relationship. I do right, the master's pleased with me, I get food, and I get a place to sleep at night. That's the slave relationship. That's not a child's relationship. A child expects stuff from father even if they haven't earned it, Right? Did you guys have to work for food in your household as a child? Some of you might have. I don't know. Don't nod. Just sit there quiet. Be good. As children, things that slaves work for are given to us. We actually feel entitled to receive them in our households, don't we? Be that right or wrong, that's what we do. There's a difference between the mindset of a slave and a child. So how do you relate to God? Before we go any further, because we're going we're gonna to deal in a, a very serious concept, a very powerful conf, uh, concept that's going to root your faith today. But before we go there, how do you relate to God? Is He your Father? I mean, I'm not talking about intellectually. Knowing something in your brain is, is easy. Knowing it in your heart is an entirely different matter. The difference is revelation. I can understand and, and get the logical concepts of a thing and never actually believe it. It happens all the time. And so I want to ask you, what do you believe your relationship with your father, with father God is like? Are you a child or are you a slave? Because a lot of religious systems are slave-like in nature. You do what you're supposed to do to get what you're supposed to get. And people like them because it puts them in control. That's right. A religious system puts you in control. It means you say, if I do this for God, he's, he's obligated now because I've been good to bless me. Now, that flies in the face of grace. It flies, flies in the face of Scripture. But a lot of people believe that. And if that's how you relate to God, and if that's why you're mad at God right now, maybe I should jump right in there because I'm feeling that in the room. Maybe you're upset because you said, God, I did it right. I obeyed you, and things did not work out, and it's all your fault. That is, we'll get to why that happens in just a second. That, that doesn't fly. That doesn't work. God did not institute a religious system. He instituted a relationship. And that relationship is one of father to child, not one of master to slave. Okay, you got it? And so, as children, if we look at God as children, we move in this place of access, free access, a place with our father of love that's unconditional because it is the nature of a father's heart to love his kids. That is the nature of a father's heart. So, you can have a close relationship with God as your father. How do you see that relationship? The next thing, next point. It's not in your notes. You're like, oh man, I'll never know when we're going to get done. Correct, you will never know. As children, we share in the inheritance of Jesus. This is pretty cool. So, first point's cool. We are children of God. Woohoo! 
Second point's cool. We share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. So let's jump into the text, verse 17. <clears throat> and since we are his children, God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. All right. So that's pretty good right there. We're heirs of God's glory, heirs of Christ, heirs of everything that Christ gets. What does it mean to be an heir? How many of you guys have ever wanted to be an heir of someone you didn't know? Yeah, like a, an uncle you had no relationship with, they die, leave you a million dollars. Like, ah, it doesn't get any better than that until you meet the IRS, but that's a different story. What is this inheritance? So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Now we live, now hear this, hear this. <laughs> I really should just teach on the first line before I get into the rest of it. Now we live with great expectation. Do you live with great expectation? That's the sobering question, right? Christians live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I want to tell you, life on earth as a Christian is good, Okay? God blesses us. He helps us through things. We'll look at some of the problem things in a minute. But I'm just saying, life on earth as a child of God is good. But this is not all there is. And this is something we Christians should get excited about. In fact, I don't know the last time I saw a Christian who wasn't really close to death be excited about their inheritance in heaven. But I'm going to tell you what, the church in the first century, they talked about it all the time. In fact, they, sell it, they got excited about the reality that there was a place called heaven, that God had established a place for us, a place that's priceless, it's pure, it doesn't depend on the stock market. Wouldn't that be nice? You guys getting close to retirement? Isn't it a great time in the stock market? That's good, isn't it? woo up and down. It's like a roller coaster that no one wants to ride. Anyway, <clears throat> not affected by chaos, decay, politics, taxes, none of those kind of things. Can't be stolen, doesn't wear out, doesn't change. There's a place reserved for God's children. That's part of the inheritance. And that's good. I mean, that's, that sounds comfortable. I, I talk to people sometimes, and they're like, man, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to fish all the time. I'm like, nah, probably not. No, I think you're going to be so distracted by Jesus. That's all you're going to care about. But that's my, that's my opinion, you know. And, but Revelation 21 does have a passage that I just I, I, hang, I hang my heart on all the time. I don't have it on the slide, but it, it just says, uh, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. I've just seen too much grief. I've seen too much death. I've seen too much loss. I've just seen more than I ever wanted to see. And I'm so glad that that all has an expiration date. One of these days, death is done. I love it when Paul says, death, where's your sting? Sin, where's your victory? Or sin, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? I, I love that idea. So that's our inheritance. Oh, oh, and one more thing, one more thing. We get resurrected bodies. That's right. One day I'm going to look good. That's right. Philippians 3, thank you, thank you. I don't know. I like cat calls myself. Anyway. <clears throat> Philippians 3 says our bodies are going to be transformed to be like Jesus Christ's glorious body. I wear corrective lenses. One day I'm going to be able to see just fine. I'll be free from all the pizza I've eaten in this life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless God. I might even be able to dunk a basketball if I cared about such things, which 
never mind. Uh, that's probably not going to happen even in heaven. But anyway, but ultimately, as I alluded to before, our inheritance really is God himself. It's our Father. And um, there's a lot of folks I can't wait to see again. I got friends who are there before me. And I got one there. He's probably been shouting ever since he got there. His name is Arthur Mestis. He went a while back. And I tell you what, he, he was shouting here, so I know he's shouting there. And uh, I can't wait to see him. But that is not my first priority. When I get there, I want to meet Jesus as fast as I can. And I'm pretty sure he's going to be at the door that I walk through into the next life. But then I, I just want to run in the arms of my Father. And Holy Spirit, we should probably know him pretty well before we go. But point is, I want to see my Father. And as his children, that's something we should be. That's the inheritance. That's the inheritance. And it, that inheritance is, in a, is for us all because of Jesus. You've got to remember, all this is connected with Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. These are ours in Christ. There is no eternal life. There is no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. Now, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir for most of you guys. And, and I know some are like, well, I think there are many ways to God. I don't. And I'm not criticizing you if you do in the sense that I'm not trying to hurt you. But from a biblical standpoint, the only thing, I, the only place I can rest is that the only way to Father is in Christ. Not even with Christ, but in Christ. And that's what we talked about last week, how that God put us in Christ and why faith is so important. And if you'd like to know more about that, you should listen to last week's message. It's already up online, and, and you, but I won't reteach it today, which, you know, you should be grateful for because we'd be here even longer. So, but God is with us, or we're together with Christ, and that makes us co-heirs with Jesus. That's our inheritance comes only through him. So I had this picture in my mind as I was trying to get this sermon in my head of, of Jesus Christ standing there with the last will and testament of the old covenant of the Father. And he's coming out of the grave, you know, with nail-scarred hands in victory. And behind him are all the redeemed. Because we're all in him. We all come through him. He stands. Everything he has earned is ours. There are certain things of his that we'll never, we're never going to be God. I should probably make that clear based on certain beliefs today. We're never going to be, become God. But everything else, the inheritance, the glory, the share in his glory, that all comes through him. And God gives that to Jesus and by extension gives that to us. So as God's children, we share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And that's just a wonderful and an exciting idea apart from jesus we have nothing at all apart from jesus christ we, we we have only our own strength but in christ all these things are given to us and it's exciting this is what we're here for and i'm just trying not to miss anything before i get into the really serious part i think that's good let's jump into this fun part <clears throat> our inheritance as god's children includes suffering you should probably say amen right there. Just, just amen. amen. You can say it with tears. That's good. It's fine. I love Philippians 3.10. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's the part of the verse I love. But there's another phrase after it. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You see, Paul wants us to understand that yes we are God's children 
Yes, we share in the inheritance of Christ. But God's only born son could not and did not and would not avoid suffering in this life, nor can we. Suffering is part of what this life is. It's part of the fall. It's part of the condemnation on the flesh, on the condemnation of the culture and everything about this world. That's not what we want to hear, though, right? I mean, those are not the kind of books that really sell that many on the shelves. I mean, there's some reform guys writing them, but not many others, you know? Man, suffer for Jesus. It was a big message when I was young. Hey, it's, it's a lot more about how, how God's going to make your life easier and how you're going to get more successful and how your westernized, colonized mind, that kind of success is going to, to grow for you if you just do it right. And I would say that's another religious system because it teaches that if you obey a set of rules, you'll get a set of things. And I disagree with that. I don't think that's grace at all. In fact, I think it's another yoke of bondage is what I think. But, but that isn't my point. My point right now is I'm standing before a world and my life and your life filled with suffering. And I see it and I deal with it every day as a pastor. And I struggle with it my own family, my own heart, my own life. Suffering and, and I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want to come to the cross. I, I want a salvation that's like, man, Jesus, I accept you. And he's like, cool, we got this arm in arm, do do down the yellow brick road to the Wizard of Oz. That's what I want to do. And you're, <laughs> many of you are reliving the movie right now. But Paul says, but if we share in his glory, we must, we must also share in his suffering. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul saw value in suffering. And let me ask you a question. If you know anything about Paul's life, how could he not have seen value? In his suffering. He saw the value and he embraced it and saw in that weakness that, it, that there, was, there was very important things to be had there. So I don't get to pick and choose. I'm united with Christ in his resurrection. Whatever happened to Christ happened with me. Hallelujah. But I, I don't get to walk away from the suffering of this passage. And so we think about this. Jesus suffered first. Yes, he's king of kings and lord of lords right now. One day, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. That's happening. That's, that's on the agenda. There's a date set for us. Not my calendar, but it's in God's, and that's the only one that matters. But before king of kings and lord of lords was a label over his head, he suffered. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. First came the shame. First came the cross. First came the pain. And then came the honor. Now, was Jesus the exception or was he the rule? You see? We would like to think he's the exception. We would like to think, Jesus suffered, nobody ever else has to again. I'll tell you, in his suffering, he took on pain, disease, all these things. He did take those on. But the world has not been fully redeemed yet. We live in a season of already and not yet. Everything is prepared and ready, but we're waiting for God to finish everything up. And so, in this idea of suffering, we need to think about it as our relationship with God. Maybe it's like... 
What if you inherited a piece of property? Think of it like this. You inherit a piece of property, and you get to the piece of property. The attorney says, meet me at this address, this time. You get there. It's a big fancy gate over the property. You get all excited. Man, I've inherited. What's on the other side of that gate? And so he comes, and he punches in the code, and the gate opens up. And you hop in the attorney's car, and you start driving through the property. And as you get through the door, and it's all rolling hills, and you're driving this road to the house that's up on a hill far away. But then you go over a hill, and you go down to a ravine. And in the ravine, it's all swampy. And you, you ever smelled swamp? Not in your kid's room, but in other more <laughs> awful, you know. And you're like, oh, man, this is awful. I, I don't want the swamp land. And he's like, well, it's part of the land. It's all one package. And you're, you're going on this road that's rough and bottoms out. And it's got potholes in it. And you're like, yuck, this is terrible. And, and, and then you see the house. You want that. You want the house, the property, the, most of the land. But there's just this yucky swamp in the middle of it. And you're like, I don't want that. And the, and the attorney says, well, it's all or nothing, buddy. It's part of the inheritance. This is how this works. You get the swamp and the house and the land, or, or you get... None of it. And, and we want to say, I don't want that. I don't want the, the ugly part. Okay, But the terms of the will say, the terms of the inheritance are, you're a child, you share in Christ's inheritance, and you share in his suffering. So it'll be the same for us. Suffering will precede glory. This is actually a law of the kingdom. Suffering comes first. The problem with suffering for us <clears throat> is we don't have a theology for it. Uh, a way of thinking about God and suffering for it. That's what I mean by theology. It doesn't fit our faith. Because there are so many that have tried to tell us that if you're doing it right, it's going to go right. And if it's not going right, it's because you're not doing it right. Here's the problem. That's works-based faith, man. It's all on you. The gospel is all on Jesus Christ. Not you. Okay? Yeah, we got to learn. Yeah, amen. Go for it. That's a good word. It's true. So, let's have a theology as sons and daughters of God for suffering. Because many of you are struggling believing right now because of the pain that's in your life. And I understand. I have been... I. I have been there, and I get there often. I mean, it's been said that you are either in a crisis, you just came out of a crisis, or you're about to go into another crisis, okay? That's just life, okay? It's a broken, fallen world, and there are influences that are impacting that. That's why Jesus walked on storms more than he calmed them, to show us that you can walk through storms and be just fine without the storm stopping, okay? And so we need to connect with that ourselves, all right? What usually happens in suffering is we don't have a theology for it. So here's two ideas to add to the way you think about suffering. One, all I can see in the suffering is this side of the inheritance. This side. What do I mean by this side? Well, in one way, and, and we really are more myopic than this, in one way we can only see up to our own death. So you may be dealing with a, a struggle and suffering right now that it may even be one that leads to your death, but you can only see to death's door if you can see that far. Usually we can't even see that far. Usually we are so locked up in the moment of crisis we cannot even see to tomorrow. And let me just give you a little bit of pastoral advice I give often. It's simply this. Things are always worst at the first. 
It rhymes, so it helps you remember. They're always worse at the first, and then they get better. Okay? They start to get better. Now, you should also know we'll be talking about grief in another month, and in grief, that is a process and takes some time. So when we experience glory right now, I mean, when we experience suffering right now, the glory that's coming, it's, it's just too far out. So we have a hard time, you know, wrapping our hearts around that. The second problem we have is we don't see any value in it. We don't see any value in suffering. Like we don't, what good is this? This bad thing has happened in my life. And what good is that? Well, let's, let's go back in history, hindsight being 2020. What good, if we had just stopped the fall, this thing keeps, I don't know if it's probably my attitude. <laughs> If we had just stopped the Bible in John 20 or at, at the end of the crucifixion, if we just stopped her right there, and Jesus Christ had come and healed people and said, I'm the, I'm, I'm the Son of God, God's our Father, loved on people, so forth, but then he gets arrested, convicted, condemned, and nailed to a cross, and he's dead, and we stopped the Bible right there. Would there be any value in that? Would we see any value in that? Did the disciples... Up to John 20 or whatever chapter and whatever gospel you're reading, did they see any value before Sunday? No. They thought it was all a waste. Everything was lost and everything was hopeless. And that's how we're living our life right now. We are living up to the cross in this life, up to death, and we don't see the value in it yet. What if you were Paul? Paul dies at the hands of Nero according to historical record. His whole life, his, almost his entire ministry, he's in, no, most of his ministry, he's in jail. Here's God takes the most, this educated, talented man, and, and for his ministry to the Father, he gets to spend most of it in jail. That is not how I would do it. If I were going to strategize the evangelism of Rock Springs, I would not put my best evangelist in prison. But that's what God did. This is why Paul wrote that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering because he was literally fellowshipping in the suffering of Christ for the church. He, in fact, in his own words, said that he saw it as completing the works of Christ for the church. And so fellowship and suffering is, is participating with Christ in that sacrificial work. So that's the value of it. But did those things have value? Well, yeah. One of them gave us the New Testament which has literally changed the world. The other one changed the world, but gave us a Lord and Savior. If we just look to our tombstone, we may not see any value at all in what we endure. So we have to have a theology that's more than that. A theology that goes into the inheritance, into the glory. This story, this life, isn't all there is. So the next time you're going through suffering and you start asking yourself this question, is God punishing me? Have you ever? You don't have to raise your hand. Give me, give me a subtle nod. I want to see who else thinks that. Yeah. I think I'm getting a spanking from the Most High. Pretty sure you'd know if you were, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes we think God is punishing us. But in Romans 8.1, God said through Paul, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So you've got a problem, a theological challenge, if you think God is punishing you what is god doing well hebrews 12 7 says as you endure this divine discipline and you're sitting there reading that going well that sounds like punishment to me no it's not 
It's a different thing. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Hey, if you're going to be a child, God wants to treat you as a child, right? Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? What is discipline? In your mind, it may be punishment. I think of discipline, or a way to wrap your head around this is in a more positive way. You ever had a coach? Maybe some of you guys are in CrossFit. Give me a nod if you're in CrossFit. You look tired, I can tell. Why would you pay someone that much money to yell at you? I will do it for free. Ask my kids. I love to yell at people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I had several coaches throughout my junior high and high school years and in business as well. And they were always pushing me. And sometimes it was tough. And they were always telling me I could do more than I could do. In fact, sometimes they were pushing me beyond my breaking point to show me that that wasn't actually my breaking point. And I thank God for every one of them. What were they doing? Were they punishing me? No, they were training me. They were teaching me what I was capable of, what I could do. And you come to a place in life, you realize, hey, if they can do it, I can do it, right? Because somebody stepped up and showed you. It's like the four-minute mile, you know, like for... For a long time, no one ever ran a mile faster than four minutes until the first guy came along. One guy did it, and then all of a sudden, now it's the standard. And so, your father is disciplining you. Why? He's making you better. He's calling you up. You are not just an earthling. You're something else. You're not just here to get by, survive until you die. God's making warriors, mighty men and women of God out of you. God has far higher plans than that. Amen? God cares about you. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us that that we might share in His holiness. Back to our house before I'm done. Remember that property we inherited with the big old swampy swamp? Well, you, you get the land. And you go out to clean up the swamp, and under the swamp, you find there's oil. Let me tell you a story about... Oh, no, it's a <laughs> different deal. Whoops. Sometimes this stuff just happens. You should be, should be in our household. You find out that that swamp was worth way more than that property ever dreamed to be in. That's what suffering is. It's way more valuable than you realize. There's so much more there. I used to say it this way, all the good stuff in the Christian life I found in the valleys. I celebrated those on the mountaintops, but I found the good stuff in the valleys. And it's the same way with suffering. You're going to meet a God in those valleys and in those moments of suffering. A father, you had no idea how good he was. You could never know him the way you'll know him in your pain and in your loss and in your suffering. And that is the inheritance. God's not abandoning you. He's investing in you. He cares about you. And all of this, guys, never forget, all of this is because of Jesus Christ. If you're there, if you're sitting here today and you you haven't got that bit of business taken care of, trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The sin, the suffering, the weakness, the bad things that have happened, I'm sorry they happened. Your father didn't even want them to happen. He wanted it all to be perfect and everyone to live forever. Eden was his plan. This was Adam's. 
<laughs> yeah, the plan stinks. But turn to him. Be adopted into his family. Find a new life. Let's pray. Father, thanks. I pray you help us today as we enter into this communion time. Michael, go ahead and come up. I pray that you would help us to know you as our Father, to enjoy and look forward to and anticipate our inheritance. And Lord, give us a good, healthy theology for suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.